What do you see? It's worth the look in our way. We are free in ways that we never should be. Sweet release from the grips of these chains. Like hinges straining from the weight, my heart no longer can keep from singing. All that is within me, he cries, for you alone. Don't deserve your glory. Still, you show love we cannot afford. Like hinges straining from the weight, my heart no longer can keep from singing. All that is within me.
It's always good to gather in the house of God with God's people, isn't it? <laughs> we could try to count the stars. You already know them each by name. Galaxy was your design, your majesty displayed. Your glory shines before our eyes. The more we Father God, we thank you this morning that, that we're here, that we can come and worship you in freedom. And you say in your word, God, that if we'll give, it will be given to us in abundance. Press down, 
shaken together, running over, more than we could ever, ever think and hope for in our lives. From the cup of your abundance, God, we just thank you for that. This morning we need to open our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. In our spirit, give to the King of Wonders who's given so much to us. Bless us this day, Lord, as we give in your name. Amen.
Thank you, guys. Wonderful worship this morning and worship last evening. How, how many of you were at the Michael W. Smith concert last night? We appreciate all those who labored. Uh, you can tell who they were by the sunburn and by the toothpicks in their eyes holding them open. I just want to uh, applaud all those who worked. I think God, I know God blessed it, and I hadn't heard any, any figures that yet from decisions or how many were there, but I know I counseled a couple from a nearby community that were touched and uh, wanted to rededicate their lives. They hadn't been following or serving the Lord like they knew they should, and uh, they wanted to change what they had been doing. We're in a series of signs, um, and this is a fifth sign out of seven in John's gospel. There are seven signs that are explicitly called signs, and John calls them signs and not wonders or miracles because the focus is not on what Jesus does. John wants to take the focus off of the event and place it on the person. What does this miracle mean about Jesus? Who, what is his identity? Who is he? And of course, the purpose of of John's gospel, he says at the end, in John chapter 20, he says, there are many other signs that Jesus did, but if you recorded them all, all the books in the world could not hold them, but these have been given, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you might have life in his name. This is the fifth sign. Remember the fourth sign was the feeding of 5,000. This follows right on the heels of that. The crowds come and they try to make Jesus king after they see this great sign that he did. And verse 15 of chapter 6 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea rose because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So John makes some interesting comments about what happens this night that Jesus walks on water. Let's pray. Father, as we come together to worship you this morning, we thank you for the events that happened in our community this weekend, and we pray that 
that, that all those folks who were in attendance worshiping you last night and decisions made would, would be long-lasting ones and permanent ones, and all those folks would get plugged into churches and be discipled and be encouraged and grow in their Christian walk and, and follow you faithfully the rest of their lives. And Father, that's our desire here this morning too. We don't want to be Christians who just come into the doors and, and go through the motions and, and check something off a list and then go, go home and, and return to doing things the way we always, have always done them. But we want you to be the Lord of our lives. Father, we want you to walk on the water to us in our boats in the midst of a storm and sit down beside us and help us ride the angry waves until you bring us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, everyone who lives life in this world has faced one kind of storm or another. And and there's some common characteristics about these storms because almost all of them come upon us suddenly and they're unexpected and they take us by surprise and they create fear and they test our faith and hopefully they eventually lead us closer to God. That's some common denominators in, in all the things that happen when these storms arise. So like what, what might these storms be? Well, they can be the storm of death, especially a death that comes unexpected or an illness that puts a loved one in the hospital. Maybe rejection by someone you, you loved, uh, um, an estrangement in a relationship. Maybe there's criticism that comes into your life that, that you don't feel is fair or just. Maybe some emotional trauma or loss, or maybe an accident. All these things are unexpected, and, and suddenly you find yourself in the midst of a storm, and you wonder where Jesus is and why he is letting this happen to you. So un, unjustified. Well, let me assure you, folks, I've, I've studied the Bible a long time, and one thing I have learned is that being a Christian does not exempt you from the storms of life. It does not exempt you from the storms of life. If it did, then we would be just like these crowds in this fifth sign. They come to Jesus and they try to uh, take him and, and crown him king. Now, Jesus knew he was a king, but not the kind of king the crowds wanted. Jesus knew he was a king that would save his people from their sins. These people wanted a king who would save them from Rome. They wanted a military ruler who would swoop down and lead their armies into victory over their Roman oppressors. But Jesus didn't, he had no calling to be that kind of king. And so he sends his disciples away, he disperses the crowd, and he goes up onto a mountain to pray. You remember when he was tempted in the wilderness after that 40 days, Satan said, why don't you be a king? Why don't you have control over everything you can see? Jesus had already faced that trial, but he did so through prayer. And so here he separates himself once again, and he goes up onto a mountain. Well, there's some things I want you to see in this passage of this fifth sign, just to assure you that storms can and will happen to Christians just as they do everyone else. Because here are the disciples, and look what happens to them. 
The first thing I want you to see is that you can be obedient to God and still be in a storm. Matthew, in, the, in Matthew's version of this miracle, Matthew 14, verse 22, it explicitly says that Jesus commanded them to get into the boat and go to the other side. So here they are in a storm doing exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. They weren't being disobedient. They weren't going their own way. These disciples were obeying Jesus. They are rowing across the lake as he instructed them to do. And still a storm comes up. Now this is, this is something that's difficult for a lot of people to figure out. If Jesus loves us, and if he has all power, then why does he allow storms to come into our lives? Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says, Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father's will, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, if Jesus knows you that well, and he loves you that much, then why does he allow storms to come? Well, sometimes storms come to teach us something. To protect, think about this, sometimes a storm comes to protect us from something worse. You ever thought about it that way? Like I said, Jesus had already faced this temptation in the wilderness. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, the crowds are, are coming and they're, they're trying to take Jesus by force to make him king. Imagine the impact that had on the disciples. Here the disciples who had given up everything to follow Jesus and the crowds are growing and Jesus just did this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and everybody is wowed and wooed and, and, and it's just falling right into the disciples' hand. Can you imagine what they are thinking as the crowds are coming, tempted to make Jesus or trying to make Jesus a king, an earthly king? The, the disciples just were not spiritually mature enough to see Jesus for who he really was. And so what does Jesus do? Rather than, rather than stand by and see what the crowds are trying to accomplish, Jesus sends the disciples away in a boat. He disperses the crowd, and he goes up to a mountain to pray. The disciples are just being obedient, and still the storm comes. The second thing I want you to see is that while the storm is arising, Jesus hasn't forgotten them or neglected them. The Sea of Galilee, I got out my little map in my ruler. It looks like it's about 10 miles wide and about 14 miles long. So it's not a small pond, okay? It's, it's a pretty big fishing area. And uh, it's surrounded by hills and mountains. And during the day when the, when the surface water heats up, and, and cold winds or cool winds blow down through the gaps in these mountains into this area that's about 600 feet below sea level, a swirling squall can, can occur right there on top of the sea. And a storm can come up unexpectedly. Now remember, these disciples have been rowing for hours and they've only gotten about three to four miles away from shore. And some of these guys are experienced fishermen. You've got Peter and Andrew and James and John who grew up cutting their teeth 
on fishing nets. Remember, they were cleaning their nets when Jesus came to call them to follow him. So these guys knew what they were doing on the water. And still they were afraid. And they, were sitting, they must have been wondering, you know, Jesus sent us out here. Where is he? Doesn't he care what's happening to us? But this, this storm comes into their lives and it teaches us something. God promises to use those bad things for good, doesn't he? I remember uh, going through a tough time in my own life several years ago. And I had a guy gave me this verse in Romans 5. And I think about these verses at the beginning of Romans 5 all the time. It says, more than this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Can you imagine rejoicing in your sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces, what's the, what's the, the pattern? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So one thing we learn in times of storms is we learn to trust in Jesus. We have to take our eyes off of our own resources and abilities and strength and place it on someone else who has strength that we don't have. And when our own rugs are pulled out from under us, then we are forced to rely on Jesus. He is never absent. Matter of fact, I am convinced when he was up on the mountain praying, he was probably spending time with his father. He was probably contemplating the cross that lay ahead. But I think he was also praying for his disciples that he knew were facing struggles in the boat at that very moment. So Jesus was up on the mountain praying for them. And not only that, when it became more than they could bear, it says in verse 20, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, that's not a good translation of the Greek. It is I is not what it says. The Greek word is ego, I, me. Ego is the word for I. I, me is the verb to be, first person present indicular, first singular, it, it is I am. So ego, I, I, me, am. I am. When the disciples hear I am, what are they going to think of? I am. Do not be afraid. Come on. What do they think of? They think of the name of God. You remember Exodus three fourteen. Moses says, God, whom shall I say is sending me? What is your name? And God says, you tell them, I am is sending you. So when the disciples hear, I am, do not be afraid. Automatically, they're going to associate that with the presence of the living God. Now, a lot of commentators have difficulty with this fifth sign, Jesus walking on the water. They say that's crazy. That's impossible. Maybe the disciples were closer to shore than they realized and Jesus was just walking along the shoreline or he was walking in some shallow water, but he wasn't really walking on the water. Well, you've got to remember these guys are fishermen and they know what they're doing and it clearly says that they were frightened and it clearly says that they were three or four miles from shore. So I'm afraid there's no way getting around this miracle. Jesus really did walk on the water to come to them. 
And when you stop and think about it, he was with God when the world was created. He created this water. He created this world. He created everything in it. Walking on water is no big deal to Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And if he can do that, then he can do anything. He suspends the laws of nature. And Jesus walks on water to them. In Matthew's account, this is a passage where Peter calls from the boat and says, if it really is you, let me come out of the boat and walk towards you. And Peter does until he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. Well, the disciples see Jesus coming and and even that frightens them because they think they're going to die and they think this is a ghost that's coming to get them because they're dying. And when Jesus says, I am Do not be afraid. And then he gets in the boat with them. They know they're going to be all right. It doesn't say here in John's passage that the storm is calmed. What it does say, as it does in Matthew, what it does say here is that immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going in verse 21. Jesus gets in the boat and suddenly they get to where they're going. It's as if the boat was transported immediately that last, I don't know, six and a half miles to Capernaum. Another law of nature is suspended. And what I want you to see here is that storms in life will come, but I want you to know that Jesus, I am, is with you. And when he is with you in the boat, nothing can thwart God's purpose for your life. You will get to where he wants you to be as long as Jesus is with you. So storms will come, but God's purpose will still be realized in your life. And it will strengthen you. And it will prepare you. When a small storm comes, what's it doing? It's increasing your faith and preparing you for a larger storm that's coming down the road. If, if this small storm didn't happen here, then this big storm later on would just sweep you off your feet. But if you can put your faith and trust in God in the small ones, then when the big one comes, you'll be able to stand firm. A lot of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? A lot of you have been through all kinds of storms in your life. And you've hung in there. And God's been faithful. And he's been with you in the boat. And I want you to know that he's going to take you where he wants you to be. And sometimes you won't always realize it when it's happening because you'll suddenly be where his purpose for you lies. But you can look back and say, yes, God was there and he was working with me and praying for me and sitting beside me each moment of the day. Remember a sign is used to indicate something. It's it's not just a miracle to wow the crowds because that's not what Jesus was about. Following Jesus because of what he can do only lasts as long as the next miracle. (laughs) Following Jesus for who he is lasts forever. And that's the kind of followers he wanted to cultivate. For Christians, he promised one more thing in Paul's letter. I mentioned this earlier, Romans 8, 28. We know that everything works together for good to those who love God and are called according 
to his purpose. So even when those storms come, they might not be what you wanted. But God is using those to build a character of Jesus in you. He is, he is about conforming us to the image of his son. And that doesn't happen through days of ease. It happens through difficulties and storms. And even when those storms come, God promises to use them somehow to work them out together for good, to accomplish his purpose in your life. And in the final analysis, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because I am is with us, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we know that storms come and they take all shapes and sizes and some of them are just minor annoyances and some of them are major losses and we don't see how we can keep going. But we are here today to acknowledge your faithfulness. And even when we don't feel you in our little boat beside us, we know you're there, you're praying for us. And you are with us. I am is here now. And you are with us all the way. Even when the storms are raging and we cannot hear or feel you, we, want, we acknowledge by faith that you are there. And when we do that, that just encourages our own faith and it helps us to grow and prepare for the next storm that's headed our way and it also encourages those around us and and children who are following along behind us who are who are looking and watching and wondering what it means to be a Christian and and how we will respond when storms come father we thank you for good times like like last night that encourage us and that edify the body and and bring people to faith in But we also want to thank you for difficult times because we know it's also in those times that you are growing us and shaping us and conforming us to the image of Jesus. And that that image only happens through storms. So we trust you and we love you. And we ask you to be with us. Oh, great I am now, tomorrow, and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, extend an opportunity. It's called an invitation for you to respond to God's call in your life. Maybe last night at the concert you professed your faith or you rededicated your life or, or you had a desire to get involved in a local church. And I just want you to know how welcome you would be here. We would be so delighted to, to have you join with us and make a place for you and get to know you and and help you get to know us. So as we stand together to sing our song, if you feel God leading you to make that decision public, I would encourage you to make it now. Let's stand together and sing.
glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty, you are holy. Celebrate the light when I stumble in the darkness. I will call your name by night, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy. First declares your majesty, you are holy, holy, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth, hallelujah to the Lord of Have a seat. We want to uh, take just a few minutes and talk about Ford and Faith and the challenge that is presented to us today. We realized when we were talking about this in staff that a lot of you may have never seen some of our completed facilities. And so we have a video for you to escort you through some of those buildings. And um, I hope you also read your beacon this past week where Bill and Sabina and Gary and I talk about these new areas and the ministries that they have made possible. Let's take a look. 
As we began Forward in Faith completing the vision, we wanted to show you the results of the building program, realizing that a lot of you may not have ever had the opportunity to see the new offices or to be through the secure children's wing or to go downstairs. So we're going to start here in the offices. This is Sunday morning, so many of the offices are empty. As you come in, this is the receptionist's office. Charlotte Bergamy is ordinarily sitting behind this counter. We have furniture here that's been recovered and uh, restored from Rosalie Shepherd's estate. But we have found this to be much more open and accessible and welcoming, uh, convenient to the parking lot. As we come through this door, the offices are in the shape of a square with the outer offices, Lori Walker and Jim Donovan, these inner cubicles uh, support staff. Here's Gary's office and John Hughes and his secretary, Judy. My secretary, Jackie, and my office in this front corner adjacent to the sanctuary. As we go on around the square, music assistants, uh, a conference room that gets used frequently for classes and committee meetings. We have really enjoyed this. A break room we've never had before where uh, sometimes we gather for snacks and lunch and staff parties and, and enjoy that Christian fellowship here in the office. And then this workroom, many of you have probably been in because it's right off the breezeway with ample space for the equipment and a table to complete tasks at. And then we're back out at the breezeway. Okay. While we were doing this renovation project, we included the choir room and had four levels of risers to replicate the choir loft. So when they move now from the choir room into the sanctuary, there's not all the, the confusion and jumble, but it, it happens more smoothly uh, since this resembles the choir loft um, exactly. As we come into the children's wing, many of you may not have even been in here because this is secure now. You come through this door, you sign in with a computer that prints out a little label for your child, and uh, that way we are we're assured of the safety and security of every child that is on this wing now. All the rooms are renovated because children are a priority with us. And we have ample space for two departments, two classes for every age group. And if you can peek into a room and see some of the busyness that's going on. You'll see how open and attractive they are. Got busy classes in every, every room now. But this, this space is so important and uh, I know when parents bring their children here, they feel, they feel that they're going to be safe and well provided for, and that's so important. We really wanted you to see this, this basement, this multi-purpose room that's in the northeast corner of the building now, right out uh, Love Avenue in front, uh, because 
it's, it's being used in ways we didn't anticipate. We have sixth grade Sunday school going on in the partitions and back, but out here on Wednesday night, a uh, joy explosion is taking place now, and we have about 175 young people coming to worship and praise God and sing and, and hear a sermon. Uh, we didn't anticipate that when we built this space, but it became the perfect location, and Bill was packed out in the bowling alley, and so this became uh, an ideal transition. And we're excited about its, its use and its service for the kingdom even now. We wanted you to see this new space from a little bit different angle, perhaps uh, the lower part of the concourse. Uh, not only is it functional in connecting the two buildings, but it's being used right now for fellowships and parties and showers. Uh, and all kinds of, of opportunities where people gather. We've hung, hung flags from the nations where we've had mission teams or missionaries to serve to remind us of keeping the focus on missions throughout the year and not just during Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong seasons. Um, we want this to be a missions mall and keep missions at the forefront always. As we come up the concourse, um, you see an elevator that's already being used. We have a coffee shop that was open prior to Sunday school and will probably be open again after church. Folks gather and, and visit. We've had folks meeting out in here and praying and planning. And we're seeing the rotunda now from a little bit different angle. We're up to the rotunda now, and this is probably the most visible landmark in the back part of our property. It can be seen for blocks around from the outside. Inside, it's a point of welcome and greeting. Uh, and this portrait, uh, which was a commissioned portrait, is symbolic of that. It has a Jesus welcoming the children, and it combines a couple of elements. First of, first of all, the importance of, of welcome, which is this greeting area, and secondly, the importance of children. And when you go up these steps, you're right in the middle of the children's wing, and, and we wanted folks to know when they walked in this building that children would be an important part and, and uh, a focus of the ministry of this building. So that portrait for us was the perfect symbol of what this portion of the new building is all about. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a couple things from that video. First of all, how distorting the camera lens makes you look. <laughs> a wide-angle lens, I think. But anyway, I, we wanted you to see the completed building, how it's being used, not only today, but for generations to come. We had a $6 million debt, and you have paid off $4 million of that already, leaving us with $2 million. And, and we don't want to be encumbered by that or uh, pay a lot of uh, debt service or interest. And so that's where completing the vision came from, uh, extending our three-year forward in faith commitment, another two years to complete the vision. Your church ministry team and church leadership are already making their commitments, but nobody needs to do this by themselves. We believe if everybody does their part, it won't be a, a burden on any, any family, and it can be a blessing to us all because we are convinced that God led us, and one day we'll be glad in the future we'll be able to look back and say that of all the money that, that I... I spent in my lifetime that I've been through, 
that is the most significant, given to the church, erecting buildings, providing spaces for the kingdom and for ministry for a long time to come. If you are a church member, you should have received a letter from, uh, from us this past week uh, explaining completing the vision along with a commitment card. If you did not get one and would like to have one, we could certainly provide one for you. We're going to have additional commitment cards in the pews next Sunday morning because next Sunday morning, April 17th, is called Commitment Day. And we're asking our church family to come in and we'll have a special time of consecration as we all bring our commitment cards to the Lord's table. Next Sunday, committing ourselves to completing the vision.